Welcome to the Art of Humanity with Jessica Ann. Listen for fresh perspectives with artists, leaders, authors, and entrepreneurs. Explore creativity and consciousness. Evolve your business with the Art of Humanity. Now, here's your host, Jessica Ann. Welcome to another episode of The Art of Humanity, where we explore creativity and consciousness to allow you and your business to evolve. Today, I'm thrilled to have with me James Altucher. How are you doing, Jessica? (laughs) Thanks so much for inviting me on your podcast. What a great name, too, The Art of Humanity. Thank you so much. So James is the former president and founder of Stock Picker, which was one of the first sites to combine social networking with stock investment ideas. He is a successful entrepreneur, chess master, and bestseller writer. He has started and run more than 20 companies. His writing has appeared in major outlets, including The Wall Street Journal, TechCrunch, and Positively Positive. He runs two podcasts, The James Altucher Show and Ask Altucher. His blog, The Altucher Confidential, has attracted 15 million readers since its launch, and he's the author of 14 books. James... A lot of people who initially read your blog may think that you're sabotaging your self-interest because you reveal everything that you do. In fact, it's the reverse because your self-interest is freedom in your head. How how does revealing everything that you know give you freedom? Well, it's interesting because when I first started blogging this way, uh, people like definitely thought I was either about to kill myself or I was having some sort of nervous breakdown. And I remember I had lunch a few years ago uh, with the CEO of a company I used to work with, and she said, I heard you had a stroke. And I'm like, no. And she's like, yeah, I really, somebody said you had a stroke or a nervous breakdown or something like that. And I said, no, I, I didn't. I just, I decided to just block, you know, be a little bit more forthcoming in my blog. And literally, she offered me a job on the spot, so which I didn't take actually, but it was a it was a it was a huge job, and I just didn't want to like uh, I didn't want to do it. But um, I think people are I think people are afraid to just give themselves permission to be honest. Like we've all gone through moments in our lives where things were not good. But if you look at like the average Facebook feed or blog, you would think that everything is like magic for people all the time, except for us. Mm -hmm. So just by simply saying, okay, this happened to me and this is the reality, people say, you know, the common email I get is, you know, that happened to me too. It's like you somehow you knew about my past and you just wrote about it. And I'm like, no, it's just that everybody has the same experiences. And a great example is I used to write a lot of articles about in the financial in the financial industry like about stocks and stuff. And you can't if you're like a financial writer or like even a political pundit, you can't admit ever that you're wrong. Like nobody ever admits that they're wrong. But and then when you when you come across somebody who admits, "Yeah, I was wrong about this, this, this and this and I was right about these things." you would think, oh my God, that person's an idiot because he was wrong once. Um, Because nobody in those industries ever admits that they're wrong. And so I just decided, you know, it's not worth it to me to, I I just kept feeling bad all the time. And I was always trying to please others. And it wasn't worth it to me to just write to please others because then I'm not living my own life. I'm not writing my own style. 
you know, I wanted to be better as a writer and I wanted to actually help people instead of, you know, write the same kind of BS that everyone else is, is writing. And so I just, it's not like I believe in radical honesty, by the way, which is just say whatever is in your brain, um, completely just say it. But I do believe that people should, uh, be forthcoming. If you really want to be helpful, don't give advice, say what has worked for you in your darkest moments. And that it turns out that that those same things might work for other people. And that's what I found. And I love what you said about, it's not radical honesty, you know, it's just sharing what you've kind of been through. And you speak to this on such a visceral level. You often write about not having opinions. One, in fact, one of your articles is about not having opinions. What would you tell someone who you know might have built their life this way, kind of a life based in fear, kind of building up knowledge and information? Did they build their life the wrong way? No, not necessarily because, look, I've built my life the wrong way then because I've certainly had strong opinions in the past and I've done many things uh, both right and wrong. So we're we're at this moment now, regardless of what we've did in the past. Here we are. Everything we did in the past took us to this point, right where we are right now. So my my only what I tend to do is, uh, you know, I tend to focus more on curiosity than forcing my opinion down someone else's throat. So if someone says to me, "Well, you should be more informed about the Ukraine." I'll ask them why. Why should I be more informed? And, you know, sometimes they'll say, well, you know, we don't want to have another Hitler. You know, everything kind of devolves into uh, discussions about Hitler on, on the Internet. And uh, I'll ask, well, OK, why is this situation going to uh, evolve into something like that? I, I'm curious. I don't know. The newspapers are not going to tell you, by the way. That's not the way to get informed. The newspapers have a commercial agenda. They don't have an agenda to inform the masses. They completely have an agenda to uh, sell advertising. That's how they make money. So they're not going to necessarily tell you the correct information. So if you want to be informed, you know, being curious, uh, I guess, you know, trying to read books by people, you know, I, I read a lot of books, so I guess I'm informed in that way, but I might not be informed on the latest news from yesterday. So, uh, but I find that most of the time news from yesterday will never ever have any effect on my life, on my family's life, on my friend's life, on my colleague's life, on all the lives of the people around me. The news that happened yesterday will never have any effect at all on anybody I know. And people could then come back to me and say, oh, well, it's not just about you and people you know, but you know, I can't, Nobody can save the world. The best you can do is be as healthy as possible for yourself. And I always say be healthy physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And then you'll be, you know, hopefully an example to others and they'll be an example to the people around them. And the best way to save the world is to save yourself. So I, I for again, about the news, I don't like to be annoyed or depressed reading news that's actually inaccurate since I know I used to work for the newspapers. So you used to work in media. I mean, any media is just there to sell the space between commercials. So uh, I'd rather just read books that are good. 
Do you think that in order to get to this lifestyle, that there is a need to destroy everything that you knew and everything that you've built and achieved? I mean, like E. Cummings said, to destroy is always the first step in any creation. And, you know, you had that former life that was based in kind of that fear mentality and you had to destroy it to get to where you are now. Yeah, I think there's some component to that. I mean, I wouldn't recommend people destroy their lives or get a divorce or quit. I I, I don't necessarily think people are going to be happy in their jobs. Often people are stuck in their jobs. Uh, And I think there's a lot of things happening in the economy that might cause people eventually to look for new opportunities other than the traditional job. But I wouldn't necessarily say quit everything you're doing and start from scratch um, because you start from scratch on the inside, not on the outside. You, you, people live ultimately on the inside, and the external is just a reflection of that. So, uh, you know, often people feel they're stuck in their jobs, but first they might be stuck somehow inside themselves. Like maybe there's something that's happening inside of them that's making them feel stuck rather than a boss or a colleague or whatever. I mean, I know you mentioned that it's important to do it internally, but at the same time, it almost needs to happen externally for you to figure it out internally. I think what will happen is as you internally... So so again, what I aim for is uh, what I call 1% improvement along these four areas, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. So for the mental, for instance, I recommend people just try writing 10 ideas a day because what will happen is this amazing thing will happen. You'll start to really feel it in your brain that you'll become a thousand times more creative. If you just write 10 ideas a day, every single day without skipping, you'll exercise this idea muscle. And so what will happen is you just, it won't be possible for you to not change. Like things will just, opportunities will just arise in your life that you could not have possibly predicted, which is why I always say never go for a goal because the right opportunities will suddenly appear regardless of what artificial goals you had set for yourself. And so, so it's not necessarily that you're going to try to smash things. It's that, it's that new opportunities are going to suddenly appear and they're, they're going to be uh, very exciting. And that seems to be how the universe works, right? You just kind of put ideas out in the ether and then they somehow come back at you. And not only ideas, but also improving your relationships, uh, you know, kind of like eliminating the negative people in your life. And eliminating is the wrong word, um, but just making sure that um, the people you spend time with are the people who love and support you and respect you and who you love and support and respect Uh Spiritually, I don't necessarily mean um, go and pray every day, but try to avoid what I call time traveling. So regrets are like time traveling in the past and anxiety is time traveling in the future. So try whenever I feel myself having regret or anxiety, I try to, to replace that with thoughts of gratitude. Why am I grateful about the present moment? Like I get to talk to your listeners. I get to, I live in a very beautiful area. Uh, I'm going to see uh, the Entourage movie later. So I'm very grateful for these great things that are happening in my life today. So if you, if you just, so, so again, it's not just the ideas, it's being physically healthy. Like I I slept, uh, had a good sleep last night. You know, I ate well today. It's emotional, it's mental and it's spiritual. I love how you use your brain in a way that's just efficient. I mean, you're creative and open-minded, but you openly admit that you're not really that driven. You say that you like to read, you like to write, and you like to tell your story. 
And yeah, like so, sometimes I, I think to myself, boy, if I, you know, so I have a technology background and I started internet, com- I was starting internet companies in the 90s. And I keep thinking to myself, man, if I had moved to San Francisco and started some tech company 10 years ago, who knows where I would be. But, you know, I really, I really do like to spend hours a day reading and hours a day writing. And you would think, boy, that's really lazy and he's never going to make any money. But I kind of, after making and losing millions of dollars and several times, I really kind of started from scratch when I started this process and it's created enormous opportunities for me. Like it's nonstop. And some of the stories that you write about are really fascinating. I mean, you talk about interviewing prostitutes, junkies, and other random creatures at three in the morning, and you describe a life that was really not grounded when you used to live in the Chelsea Hotel. Do you ever get nostalgic for those days or in a good way, or do you ever wish your life was kind of more chaotic so that you'd have more material to write about today? It's funny you ask that, because I do think that you know, on the one hand, I am a believer that a good writer can find material in, in anything. But on the other hand, I do think getting out there and having experiences does give you material. But you don't want – there's a fine line there because you don't want the drama to happen in your life. You want the drama to happen on the page. So it's not like I want to go out and like you know get into all these crazy situations – and then write about it because that might be so crazy it'll ruin my life, which which is probably what's happened before. And I wasn't a good writer then, but you know maybe now I write about some of that material. But yeah, back I guess it was almost twenty years ago. I was working at HBO and I did a project for them uh, where I would uh, interview at like on a Tuesday night at three in the morning. I would interview anybody. But I would find. And so who are you going to find outside uh, in New York City at Tuesday night and at three in the, mo- at three in the morning? You're basically going to find drug dealers, uh, prostitutes, their customers, and all sorts of people who probably shouldn't be out at, on a Tuesday morning at, at three in the morning. And speaking of interesting, crazy situations, a while ago I once asked if you'd ever go to Burning Man. And it seems like you like community ideas, living unconventionally, but... You replied that you'd much prefer to be behind closed doors with the blinds closed. Yeah, it's it's true. Like I really enjoy just being at home. But that said, uh, last week, for instance, I went out to Silicon Valley and I visited Google, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And when I say I visited them, I mean I got tours from some of the top people of like the entire facilities and really saw what they were all working on. And for me, that's an interesting experience. Uh, so we, it's sort of like I, I, like this, this Saturday, uh, I'm breaking a world record along with 4,000 other people. We're going to have the, you, you're probably related as well, but we're having the world's, uh, largest family reunion. So this guy, AJ Jacobs, who's written a bunch of bestsellers, he's organizing the world's largest family reunion. Everybody related to him in some way or other, uh, so like Barack Obama was invited, for instance, uh, we're all going to the World's Fair in New York City. I'm actually speaking at the event. Dr. Oz is speaking at the event. Sister Sledge is going on stage and singing We Are Family. So that's an interesting experience for me. I'm going to have a fun time, and uh, that's this Saturday. Do you find that you're more in your element the more physically isolated that you are, but the more that you can exchange ideas and connections online? Yeah, like um, 
you know, the past two days I was in New York City, I, I recorded an audio book. So it was three hours of reading one day and then four hours of reading the next day. And you don't realize like how strenuous it is to basically talk for seven hours until you do it. Like it's it's really like not fun and my throat hurt afterwards. And so I got home and I slept, I think I slept like 14 hours just because I was exhausted from it. So ultimately I go out and do my thing, but then I come home and, and rest and then it'll, it'll take me a day or two to get back in like writing shape. Oh, I know how that feels. I was a reporter and I would talk for eight hours straight. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was, it was Chinese water torture. It was just awful. I mean, I did not ever want to hear the sound of my own voice ever again. <laughs> it's hard for me to listen to my own voice. Like I, I don't really listen to my podcasts. I used to go on CNBC a lot and MSNBC. Um, uh, and, uh, I never watched any of my segments. In a recent post, you wrote that on any given day, you're somewhere between age 12 and 17 years old. And Claudia, your wife, will gladly tell you that you're mostly 12. Yes. <laughs> As a 47-year-old man, this makes you do some pretty whacked out stuff. You wrote an ad in Craigslist claiming that, this was back in the day, but you wrote an ad in Craigslist claiming that you're psychic and can answer any questions. Or yes. more recently, you dressed in a tuxedo for your wife at five in the morning just to make her laugh. Well, on the psychic one, I, was, I was, had just separated from my ex-wife and it was Thanksgiving and I was feeling somewhat lonely, like just sitting in a hotel room on Thanksgiving. So I, I, it was, th this was bad. I, I, this was like 2008 and, uh, I, I wrote that, okay, I had this brain injury and now I'm psychic and I'll answer <laughs> any questions. And of course I, I got a whole bunch of emails. I discarded any email written by a guy and answered the rest. And I'm still actually friends with some of the people who responded to me then. So you've had so many hardships that you faced in your life, and you talk about gratitude being the foundation of your life. Besides gratitude and the daily practice, how do you tell your heart to stay young when the natural tendency as you age is to get bitter and cynical? Is it well, something that you have to do with your mind so that your heart can feel? Yeah, I think you know. There's there's physical age, and then there's your real age, which is you know, always we're in this body that is going to get older and older or whatever. But if you stay healthy, you can keep even your physical body age somewhat younger than what the date suggests. But your mental age, you know, I'm always just interested in doing the exact same things I was interested in when I was younger. Like I, I always loved to read and write and ask questions and, you know, be curious about things and so I just do the same things that I do now, you know, then now I have more responsibilities. So I have kids and I have, uh, you know, you have to have, you have to make money in various ways and so on. Um, and I, I help a lot of different businesses. I've started different businesses, but again, that was something I was interested in as a kid. So it's not even that much, much. I now get to actually do what I was interested in. So I always tell Claudia, like, I don't feel like, I don't know, checking out the interior of a car or fixing an air conditioner or I don't know, other things that like... Going to Home Depot? Yeah, going to Home Depot. I don't really know anything about that. <laughs> um, but I really do like to improve as a writer and I like to read and, and, and help people and so on. I do get worried. I've never really been sick. I've never been in a hospital, for instance. 
And so I remember, um, do you know, do you know who Nassim Taleb is? Yes. Mm -hmm. So he wrote this book, Anti-Fragility, and he really wrote it about the economy that, um, the idea of anti-fragility is that if you hurt something, it's going to come back stronger. So for instance, if a tennis player loses a game, he's not just going to bounce back. Um, he's going to, he's going to study his game. He's going to watch a videotape of it. He's going to have his coach tell him what he did wrong and he's going to bounce back and he's going to be better than ever. So he's going to be anti-fragile. So I hadn't seemed to, I had this, I read the book, which was really about the economy, but I, called Nassim and I said, why don't you come on my podcast? Because I have some questions. And I was really concerned about personal anti-fragility, which is not really discussed in the book. But I was worried that because I've never really been sick, uh, I'm worried that once I do get sick, I'm going to be this whiny baby and just be in constant agony and then die. And mm -hmm. so I asked him about this and he said, yeah, you should probably... I don't know, poison yourself a little bit just to experience being sick. And, uh, but I haven't done that yet. So he recommended getting tossed around a little bit so that you do get stronger? Yeah. Like for instance, for him, he told me he walks on non-flat surfaces at least 20 hours a week um, because, uh, you know, 200,000 years ago, people, there were no such thing as flat surfaces. Like that's how you become, that's how physically he becomes anti-fragile is by, uh, a lot of movement and walking on non-flat surfaces and, or, or, you know, having random fasting. So not like a very, not scheduled fasting, but like randomly he'll fast, uh, things like that. That kind of goes against everything that we're taught in society. You know, we're taught to achieve materialism, to have stability, to be comfortable. How hard is it to really get yourself out of that comfort zone and challenge yourself and challenge your personal fragility on that type of level? Well, stability is really like a myth because if you think about it, um, really until let, – let, let's just take – let's forget the last century – there was no stability ever before the last century. Like, you know, there was constant wars. There were, and there still are, but 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 actually, you know, there's a lot of evidence. Not as many wars as there were before. There was constant like upheavals of civilizations and societies and ethnic groups and so on. There were constant and still are constant changes in industries. So there never really was stability. Um, uh, it's just now we kind of have this myth of stability because things are probably more stable than ever before. Uh, but it's still the case that, you know, jobs aren't really that stable. Most people will switch careers and you could probably attest to this, but most people will switch careers in their lifetimes at least 14 different times. Oh my gosh. Even, yeah. <laughs> even if you go to college and you major in, I don't know, pre-law, you're probably not going to end up a lawyer, or I know many lawyers who then go on to become reporters, and then book writers, and then stockbrokers, and then actors, and then who knows what else. So these aren't just switches in jobs. These are switches in major switches in careers. So the whole notion of stability never was true, and we kind of have to accept the fact that switch being unstable is not the same as being a failure. So we live longer than ever right now, for instance. So it makes sense that we're not going to be necessarily married to the same person forever. Now, we might be. That's a great, beautiful thing if you are. Um, but it's not necessarily the case of failure if 
uh, your first marriage ends in divorce. Now, I can easily say that because I'm my first marriage ended in divorce, but you know, now I'm happily married in my second marriage. I love the relationship that you and Claudia have. It's really sweet. And it seems like you're in a place where you can grow and evolve as a human that you're meant to come into. How important was it to, you know, find the right person and to grow alongside of Claudia? I think it's important, but I also think it's important also to, again, like, you know, there's this saying, you're the average of the five people you have around you. So really you want to make sure that most of the people you spend time with are really positive and supportive, whether you're married or in a relationship or have a group of friends or a group of colleagues that you work with or accountability partners or whatever. uh, It's just important that these people are very supportive around you. It, It doesn't necessarily mean that you, your wife and you are in the same career and helping each other. Uh, you just want them not to be a hindrance. And I think a lot of the times, uh, you know, like this happens in families often. Let's say you don't get along with a sibling, but you feel like, oh, I have to talk to my sibling every day or else I'm not a good person. Well, that's like an incorrect theory. Uh, it might be the case you need a break from family members for a while or a break from a friend for a while, and, you know, because maybe something went wrong in the relationship. Might be your fault, might be their fault, doesn't matter. You still need that break to kind of think about what happened and, and, uh, and then and replace that person with, with positive people. Now, people sometimes say, oh, does that mean you abandon people who are in pain? Or No, not at all. You, you want to be positive and supportive to people as well. But again, you need to take care of yourself first. It's like when the plane's going down, what do they recommend? Let's say you have your baby with you. They recommend putting the gas mask, the oxygen mask on your own face first before you even put it on your one-year-old baby. Because mm-hmm. that's the best way to save your one-year-old baby is by putting the oxygen mask by saving your own life first. Right, exactly. And you know, one of the things you always talk about is that you don't really do anything that you don't want to do. You know, you live a life based on your truth and doing what you want to do in the moment every day. And you know, this might seem to many as kind of a quote-unquote selfish thing to do. What would you say to people who think that you're being selfish by living the life that only you can live? Well. First, I would say, what do you, I mean, really the most important thing, the only thing we have that we can never replace is time. So I could lose uh, $5, $100, a million dollars, and if I work in the right way, I can replace that money. But if I lose even one minute of my time, I can never, ever get that back. Uh, It's impossible. No one's ever done it in the history of time. And so... I don't want to do something where, you know, I'm only going to live to be, let's say, I don't know, I could die tomorrow, but let's say I have the average lifespan, I could live to 80 or whatever. I don't want to spend five days or a year doing something I didn't want to do. Like, what's an example of something where someone would say I was being selfish? Like, certainly when my father was in the hospital, I visited him, even though it's not nobody wants to visit their father in a hospital because it's hard. They'd rather their father be healthy, um, but I loved my father, and for me, it was important to visit him in the hospital. So that was something I wanted to do. Doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to never do things that are unpleasant, um, but that was something I wanted to do. I can't think of anything. 
Like if someone invites me to like a wedding in Arizona uh, and it's going to take a July 4th weekend, where no- a weekend I normally spend with my family in, in my hometown, uh, I'm going to say no to the wedding in Arizona because I don't want to go. And I've actually lost friends that way. But if that's the type of friend, then what can I do about it? Like, I don't want right. to. I don't want to waste the time I could have spent with my kids. Yeah, there's such a simplicity to the way that you live. And feeding off of simplicity is your philosophy around owning a home. And you legitimately believe that people would be happier if they don't mortgage their lives away, if they don't fall into the myth of the white picket fence leading to happiness. Yeah, if if you think about it, people lived in cities. And then, you know, there was kind of this suburbanization as... uh, uh, the suburbs got built out. Everyone b- bought their homes, um, but they were kind of locked in. If you think about if you think about a home as an investment, it's the worst possible investment you can make. It's an asset that is almost all of your net worth in most cases. Uh, I mean, most people have no savings, so their house is like their net worth. And your mortgage, you, you borrowed an enormous amount of money from the bank. So really, the bank owns your house. It's completely illiquid, like meaning. I can't just sell my house tomorrow. And in fact, when I most need the money is probably when I'm least able to sell my house. Like, for instance, in the period between 2008 and 2011, and even now, it's very difficult to sell a house. Uh, And you're kind of limiting your choices about what sort of jobs you can take because you can only take jobs that are near your house unless you, you know, figure out a way to work at home. So, you know, that's kind of the investment idea. Not to mention the fact that when you put this enormous down payment down, you could have used that down payment for so many other things. Uh, and people say, well, you're just flushing your rent down the toilet. But when you add up maintenance and taxes and mortgage and all this other kind of stuff, it all adds up to the same thing. Unless you live in your house for like 60 years and then it might pay off. But the average American moves every five years anyway. So it, the arguments for owning a house quickly disappear. And for me, I like to be mobile. Now, I happen to have lived in the same place for almost five years now, but I have a great landlord. If the laundry machine breaks, he takes care of it. If something's wrong, if there's like a flood in the basement, he takes care of it. Like I never have to deal with anything I don't want to deal with. He chose to deal with it, so he gets to benefit if this house rises in value. But I get to benefit from having more time available to, for me. And uh, and I and I'm living in my dream house actually, so so I like my situation. And by the way, I didn't have to put down whatever hundreds of thousands of dollars as a down payment, or even fifty thousand dollars as a down payment. Think about if you never own a home and you never went to college, that's probably an extra four or five hundred thousand dollars that would be in your bank account. That's a lot of money. Yeah. So, but these are like the two biggest decisions people make, and they make it without thinking. Like they, they automatically assume owning a home means having roots, which means you could somehow feel safer or more comfortable, even though many people, it ruined their lives in the housing bust of, of 2008. So, and going to college, I went to college, okay, I'm not going to criticize people who went to college because A, it was a lot different. It, 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 it gets worse every year. So what happens every year is tuitions go up higher than inflation. And this is how this could be saved and you could have fun experiences and educational experiences. You could have many educational experiences outside of the context of college. So that's another thing where 
People will argue to death college is a must, and this is why America's going down the drains because of people like me saying don't go to college. But the reality is I think people shouldn't go to college right now. And, and there's so many online resources to get an education. There's no reason to spend a hundred or $200,000 to go to a college. We definitely have to agree with you on that. I got an advanced degree. What really- was your advanced degree in? Podcasting? <laughs> it was in communications. Okay, so related. Yeah, it's related for sure. I mean, you know, and it did help me and I definitely appreciate my education, but I found that the most I've learned in my life has been the past three years of running my own business. Or basically, not even running your own business, but kind of um, being the master of your different sources of income, that is an, an educational experience so far beyond what you learn in college. It's like ridiculous. You have an interesting belief around meditation. You think that in most cases, meditation is bad for the brain despite scientific evidence. Most people just simply do it wrong. Mm-hmm. So, so there, there's no right way to do meditation, but there's definitely like wrong ways to do it. And I think often people meditate because they're maybe running away from other problems they might have in their lives that are actually serious and need medication rather than meditation. Um, or... Uh, often you ever find you sit down to meditate and just nonstop stuff's going through your head. And it's really hard to calm those thoughts. Like sometimes you have to deal with things in your outer life to, to really, uh, deal with meditation. Meditation is really hard to sit down for like an hour and, and not think of anything. But I think if you focus on, so the scientific evidence is, is that if you sit down for a half hour a day and really focus on compassion and empathy for others, then it, it activates certain parts of your brain that have long been dormant or asleep. And I think that's correct. I think meditation does play a role. But you can, you know, meditation is called often a practice. Um, so you meditate the 15 minutes, 30 minutes, 60 minutes a day, not because that checks the box on meditation for the day. It's because now you've practiced at being more compassionate or more mindful so that when you are actually in a really difficult situation, you know how to, the the brain knows how to react. But if you meditate kind of incorrectly, uh, you're not going to get the benefits of that and you might react in a way that's not, that's actually harmful to you. So... I've seen a lot of I've seen a lot of ego meditators where they meditate so they think they're a lot wiser than everyone else and they just just bad things happen to them. So I I think it's very important actually all day to meditate. So so even if it's for 60 seconds at a time to just be as mindful as possible to take those deep breaths and be aware of your surroundings and not try to um, focus on what he said or she said the day before or be anxious about what's going on tomorrow. Like, you know, be mindful and compassionate throughout the day. And that's, to, to me, the equivalent of meditation. You can do 60-second meditations all day long, and that's just as valuable, if not more valuable, and we'll get all the scientific benefit as well. You're a book nerd like me, and I'm curious, what is on your current Kindle? What are you reading right now? So right now, I'm reading um, I'm reading a book by Haruki Murakami called Norwegian Wood, mm. which is one of his earlier novels. I, I've been on, on a big Murakami kick lately. I've read like five of his books in the past couple of weeks. Uh, I'm reading Tomorrowland by Stephen Kotler, who talks about all these like great uh, innovations that have been happening, 
recently in in almost every area of like you know prosthetics or uh, downloading consciousness to computers, and he's he's really into kind of all this futuristic stuff. Uh, coincident to what we were just talking about, I'm reading Buddha's Brain by Rick Hansen, who talks about the scientific evidence around meditation. So it's totally a coincidence that you just brought that up. <laughs> uh, and uh, I just finished uh, The Stranger by Albert Camus. Camus. So, yeah, because a, a friend of mine recommended it about a week ago. And I had, I had, for some reason, I had kind of like a bias against it, but I decided, okay, I'll read it. And, and it was actually very good. I, I enjoyed it a lot. And, That's one uh, of my favorite books. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. In fact, I, after I finished reading it, I immediately started it again. So I'm kind of in the middle of it again. And uh, I'm also reading a collection of short stories by a guy named Robert Boswell. I kind of read a bunch of things simultaneously, and I try to get 10 to 20% through each book each day. I'm the same way. I read five to 10 books at a time, depending on my mood. Anything that has to do with meditation or yoga, and I call it woo-woo, but it's really not. It's really... It, it's really not. It's not like... like I, I'm not a big believer in The Secret, for instance, which I consider that like sort of woo-woo, the idea that uh, I want to go to Hawaii, and I'm putting that out into the universe, and the next thing you know, someone invites me to... Hawaii. Like, I don't believe in that at all. Right. But the untethered, the untethered Soul or The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle is all about uh, coming back to the present moment, dealing with both the good and the bad in your life, and, you know, being as healthy as possible. I'm sure listeners want to learn more about you after hearing this conversation. So where can people find you online? Uh, at jamesaltucher.com, A-L-T-U-C-H-E-R.com, or on Twitter at jaltucher. Or really, I always kind of like test drive almost all my articles or posts on my Facebook page. So just find my Facebook page. You know, I'm, I'm the only James Altucher out of the 1.4 billion people on Facebook. So you can find me there. The one and only James Altucher. Thank you yes. so much for joining me. It was such a pleasure talking with you. Thanks so much, Jessica. I really appreciate you asking me to come on the podcast. Thanks for listening to The Art of Humanity. Please follow us on Twitter at It's Jessica Ann. Join us next week with your host, Jessica Ann. Evolve your business with the art of humanity.